Good morning, everybody. I am uh, not Corey Johnston. Um, Corey was going to speak for you this morning. My name is Aaron Parks. I'm the lead pastor of Access Church in Troy. And um, the elders called and asked if I could come and speak this week because Corey uh, was originally going to come and speak, and he had a, a family emergency. Corey's mother passed away this week. And so um, Corey is the pastor of Heights Church in Collinsville. That is Trailhead's first daughter church. Uh, they started about two years ago. So Corey is a good friend. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, he's a friend to me personally. He's a friend of this church. Many of you know Corey and Andrea um, and their family. And so um, please remember them. They're going, he's going through a difficult time right now. Um, obviously, he just lost his mother. And so he's mourning. And at the same time, he's leading heights. And um, it can be tough to, to lead people and care for people when you need to be cared for yourself. And so if you would, please be remembering Corey and Andrea and Heights. And if you don't mind, I'd like to go ahead and start this morning by, um, by praying for Corey and his family, if you would join me in prayer for him. Heavenly Father, uh, God, we love you. God, we know that, God, we know that you are completely and totally in control and that nothing happens uh, apart from you. And yet, God, uh, there are so many times when the things that happen hurt, um, when things are difficult, and we don't understand why. And we can trust that you have a good plan, but it's hard to see it. And we know right now that, God, that our, our friend Corey is struggling. Um, he, he's mourning today. He's grieving the loss of his mother. And, um, and just sifting through um, so many things that, that are related to that and that relationship. So God, this morning we as, as, a, as a group together, we as a church want to lift Corey up to you. Because God, you are the God of all comfort. You are the God of peace. You can comfort Corey in this time. You can give him peace. Um, and you can be for him what no one ever of us or any human being could ever be. And you can give him a deep joy even in his sorrow. So God, I pray that as, as he mourns the, the passing of his mother, that he would do it uh, knowing that you are a great and good and loving God and that he can trust in you and rest in you. We pray for heights as they seek to surround their pastor, that they care for him in the way that he has, uh, has sought to care for them over the years. And we pray that that church will be um, just an incredible blessing to Corey as he goes through this difficult time. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, well, um, this morning we're going to look at a passage in the Bible in Matthew chapter 22. So if you have a Bible, if you would open it up to Matthew chapter 22, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback one under the seat in front of you somewhere, if you could grab that one. Um, Open it up to page 827. That's where you'll find Matthew chapter 22. We're going to read this passage and then get into the message. So here we go. Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to start in verse number one. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. 
Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and went off one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads. And invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called but few are chosen. The word of the Lord. So uh, this morning, we are finishing up a series, and the series is called We Are Trailhead. And so let's all just acknowledge that this is a little bit weird to finish a series called We Are Trailhead with a speaker who is not even a member of Trailhead, okay? Um, It it should make no sense at all. But actually, the truth is that this is intentional, okay? This wasn't an accident. Um, Because if you want to talk about who Trailhead is, about, about what Trailhead is as a church, then you have to talk about church planting. And so I'm, I'm here this morning kind of in two roles. One, to say we are Trailhead, I, I am a former member of Trailhead. Um, I've been here, or I was here for two years before we were sent out from Trailhead to plant Access Church, to start Access Church in Troy. And so I'm, I'm speaking this morning both as, as a former member of Trailhead, but also as someone who was sent out by Trailhead to go to Troy and to start a new church. Because this is a part and, and when I say a part, a very, very important part of who Trailhead is. Church planting, starting new churches from scratch, sending out people from Trailhead to go and to start new churches in different parts of the Metro East or, or honestly different areas around the St. Louis area or around the world, that's a part a very big, important part of Trailhead's DNA. It's a part of our, and I'll say our, culture here at Trailhead. So Trailhead is only about five and a half years old, and in that time, we've already sent out and started two daughter churches. One is Heights, that's the church that Corey pastors in Collinsville, and they started about two and a half years ago. And the other is Access. Access is the church that we just started, and I even don't want to say, we are just starting in Troy. Now, as a matter of fact, we just had last Sunday our first ever preview service. Um, it was the first public Sunday morning service that we hosted. Uh, we met at an elementary school there in Troy, and, um, and people showed up. And so we are like thrilled right now. I mean, we are like, we are over, over the top filled with joy because we, 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 we hosted a service and somebody came, and so it's just, it's incredible. We're, we're just working through, we're, we're so early on right now, we're just meeting once a month, we're going to meet again in December, um, and then we're going to see where it goes from there, we're just trying to follow God. Hopefully at the beginning of the year, either January or February, we're going to start meeting once a week, 
um, on Sunday mornings. Right now we meet as a team on Sunday evenings in our home, but, but we're looking to when we're going to actually start meeting every Sunday morning uh, as, as a sort of a public worship service. And so please be praying for us. We're, we're really excited about it. But all that to say, we are, as Access Church, we are a part of Trailhead. We were sent out by Trailhead to go out and start a new church in Troy. Trailhead has, look, I want you to understand this. If, if this is like the first church you've ever been a part of, you might not understand the impact of saying that Trailhead is five and a half years old and they've already started two daughter churches. That's incredible. That is incredible. The, the vast majority of churches, like in America, in the world, they go their entire existence and never start another church. Okay? And most of them, if you were to ask them, even the ones who would say, well, it's important, we want to start another church, they'd say, but we need to wait until we're more established. And once we're more established, then we'll start another church. Trailhead started a new church when it was like two years old and has already started too, and already is working towards starting more. And some of you have met Joe, Joe and Becky Groppel, and they're here, and they're serving uh, an internship similar to the one that I served with the, with the hope and the prayer of possibly starting a church up in the Alton area someday. So Trailhead is about starting churches, and it's not just through those two churches, through Heights and through Access, but also through our relationship with two church planting networks, Converge Mid-America, and Acts 29 are two networks that start churches um, in this area and around the world, and Trailhead partners with them financially. Um, they have resources. They, they meet together. Their pastors, their elders meet together. Steve, um, the pastor of Trailhead, is heavily involved in Converge. He's a, a, the regional director for church planning in this St. Louis area, and through that, Trailhead has a part in churches that have been started in, in St. Louis, in the Central West Inn, in O'Fallon, in Florissant, in um, all, all over this region. If you're going to talk about Trailhead and who is Trailhead and what does it mean to be a part of Trailhead, you have to start or you have to understand, you have to grasp that Trailhead is deeply, deeply committed to church planting, to starting new churches. It's a part of who we are. And it's not like, when I say it's a part of who we are, it's not like a program that we have. And it's not like a good idea that we think we might kind of try. I'm saying it's an integral part it is a core, foundational part of who Trailhead is. Because, because we believe that it's an integral part, that it's a foundational part of the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus is about starting new churches, and so Trailhead is going to be about starting new churches. So to see that this morning, what I want to do is I want to look with you at this story that Jesus told in the book of Matthew. And as we walk through this story, I want you, and my goal, my, my kind of my prayer and my, my whole purpose today is for you to understand why church planting is so important to Trailhead to us to access, to me personally, and why I believe that it should be vitally important to you personally. 
that you should look at the idea of starting new churches and see it as this, this thing that is absolutely essential to what it means to be a church. So let's take a look at this story together. And it starts in Matthew 22, and in verse 21 it says, again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, and, and so just to start with that, to understand what's going on here, is what we're going to look at is a story that Jesus told. And the word we use to refer to it is a parable. And a parable, a parable is a story, it's a, it's a fictional story that Jesus told. He told a lot of these. And it's, what it is, it's this very deep, very layered metaphor it's like an allegory where, where everything within this story stands for something else. And so, so as we work, work through this passage together this morning, we're going to see a very literal level that this is a story and it'll make sense as a story. It's kind of a weird story if you just look at it on that level, but, but that there's a deeper meaning behind it. And that the reason Jesus told this story was not to just talk about this, this idea of this king who had a party and the people who came and didn't come and stuff like that, but he's actually getting at something much deeper, and it has a historical significance, and it also, I believe, has significance for us today. And so we're going to look at this, and we're going to see what this means and what Jesus is talking about. So here we go. In verse 2, it says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. And when Jesus tells a parable about a king, most of the time, it's not 100%, but most of the time, if there's a king in one of Jesus' stories, it represents God, okay? So as we work through this, understand the king here represents God, and it says the king gave a wedding feast for his son, and so the son is Jesus, okay? So we're talking about God, we're talking about Jesus here, and the idea here of a king giving a wedding feast would have made sense or connected with Jesus' immediate audience in a way slightly different from ours today, but I think we can still grasp what's going on here. Because if you were to imagine, okay, if you were to imagine like the biggest, most, most amazing, most, most breathtaking celebration of all time, okay, like a party that lasts and lasts, that has like no budget whatsoever, that the, the person throwing the party has like unlimited resources to throw at it. And honestly, as I'm thinking about this, I think probably for us, one of the best um, connections we could make to picture this would be like a royal wedding. Okay, you know, I mean, think about a royal wedding. Like, what was that like three, how long ago was that? Several years ago, whenever that was. Um, when the wedding happened and, and, um, and it was like a big big deal, right? Like, even people in America got excited about it, and it's like, you realize, like, American Revolutionary War stuff, but no, like, they were excited, right? Like, royal wedding, this is a big deal. This is like that, but, like, multiplied, okay? Because in, in this culture, in this day, a wedding feast was more than just, like, it wasn't just, like, a party, okay? It wasn't like, you, you know, it's catered, and you do the chicken dance, and you go home. This was, it lasted a whole week, a wedding feast was a huge deal. Like, you took off work for a whole week, and you went, and it just stretched out, and it was this amazing thing. And this is a wedding feast being thrown by a king. So we're picturing here the greatest, the most amazing, the most incredible feast of all time for anybody who was invited. So this is what's going on, and this is the, the picture that Jesus is framing here. And metaphorically, metaphorically, if we were to go through, and we don't have time this morning, so trust me or go back and check this out yourself later on, but frequently in the New Testament, there are references to a wedding feast in the future. A wedding feast representing the time when Christ 
will return, and he will come, and, and he's pictured as the groom like he is in this story, and the bride throughout the New Testament is, it's us. It's the church. It's those who believe in Jesus Christ, who have trusted in him. And, and the, the metaphor is that Christ will come back for us, his bride, and that there will be this feast in heaven or, or in the future, however you want to refer to it, and it's going to be the most incredible and most amazing celebration of all time. Okay? And so there's a reference here or a metaphor here to that, and here's what um, Jesus says about this feast. He says he sent, the king sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. So apparently, before the king held the feast, he sent out invitations to specific people. And there was a guest list, and he sent out his invitations to these specific people, and the servants went out, but they would not come. Now, this is not saying, like when you get a a wedding invitation from like your fifth cousin, and they live like four states away, and you look at it and you just go, oh, that's nice, they want me to send them a card with some money, and so you throw it away. That's not what this is, okay? This is... This is a wedding feast being thrown by the king, okay? And so we don't have monarchs, so maybe thinking about a king doesn't quite connect with us, but if you're a part of a kingdom and the king invites you to something, you don't just say no, okay? When a king asks you to do something, you don't turn him down. When the king has a party going on, you don't have other plans, okay? So the king invites people, and then he sends his servants out, and they decide, no, we're not coming. But this king in the story, um, he's kind. He's merciful. He could, for, by all rights, be totally justified in, in going out and punishing all of these people who have turned him down. But he doesn't. He says... In verse 4, again, he sent other servants. He gives them a second chance, okay? And he says, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Maybe, maybe they didn't quite grasp what's going on here, okay? They heard wedding feasts, they didn't fully connect, and so he sends them out and tells them, look, there's a lot going on. Look, do you see I've prepared this? This is going to be there. Like, lay the whole thing out. Do you understand what I am offering to you? But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. So they rejected the king who invited them to this amazing feast. But he... In, in his great mercy, decides to extend them a second chance. And he sends out his servants a second time, and he's more descriptive, and he says, I want you, do you understand what I'm offering you here? And their response the second time is, well, there's two responses. One is just totally indifference. Like, they just ignore them, and they just go out, and like, they, they, they pretend they didn't even hear it. And the other is hostility. Like, they're openly hostile. They grab the messengers. They kill the messengers. The king was angry. That's probably an understatement, wouldn't you think? The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So, okay, 
I think we understand the literal story here, but metaphorically, we need to understand what Jesus is talking about. Okay? God, as our king, God, as our father, God is our creator of the universe, made this world and created us to live in relationship with him. When he created humankind, when he created human beings, it was an invitation to humans to fellowship, to live with, to have a relationship with the God of the universe. The greatest possible relationship any person could ever have. To enjoy this perfect world that he had created, that that he had made totally perfect. And humans rejected him. We are our ancestors, but we honestly, personally ourselves, turned away from God. He offered to us, he created us and, and created this world with the offer of a relationship, and we turned from him and rejected him. But God, in his mercy and in his grace, extended a second chance. And he made a plan, and his plan was to send his son, Jesus Christ, to live on this earth and to die for us so that we could be invited into a relationship with God. He gave us a second chance. Now, there's also, and and I'm talking about this big, big picture here, but there's also an even more sort of a narrow way of looking at this, that same story, but God sent that second chance, or he he started that, that, that second invitation through the nation of Israel. And, and Jesus is talking here, when he's telling this story, he's talking to the Jews, to people from the nation of Israel, to the very people that God used and worked through to extend this invitation that, that he referred to as his chosen people, that he had called out and offered them, and if you read the Old Testament through multiple covenants with them, opportunities and offers to have a relationship with God. And over and over and over again, what they did was they rejected the offer. That God would send prophets, and they would ignore the prophets, or sometimes they would kill the prophets. Right down to this point, and this story was told, um, this when Jesus is talking, is the week before he was crucified. So right up to this point that God sent him as the ultimate prophet, and they were about to kill him as well. And his apostles, his disciples, his followers who would go out and try to tell people about him after, and they would be murdered, and they would be killed as well, and they would be rejected. And God is saying, or Jesus is saying here in this story, that the king, God, has offered to us an invitation to have peace with him, have a relationship with him, and we have rejected him. Some of us just by ignoring him, and some of us hostile, openly rejecting, and and very literally in this case, by murdering the very messengers he sent to invite us. But Look what the king did. In verse 7, the king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Now, in the context of this story, that makes sense. We might think it's harsh, but we could understand it. 
in that day and in that time, if a king sent someone as an emissary and they were killed, then the king would be perfectly justified and it would be perfectly within the culture of that day to retaliate, to, to seek out justice. But if we're looking at this metaphorically and if we put that into our understanding of our situation and, 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 and the way we relate to God, um, I think we start to have a little bit of trouble with that, don't we? To think that that those who reject God, who reject the offer, the invitation to have peace with him, will face some sort of, of punishment or some sort of consequences or some sort of... That, that rubs against us, doesn't it? We like to think of God as the God of grace and the God of mercy. And that's totally true. And this whole story, and we're going to see as we go on, is totally true that God is a God of grace and of mercy. But God is also a God of justice. And we can't ignore this and and we can't escape this. That those of us who have rejected him deserve justice. We deserve punishment. We deserve consequences. That's not a fun thing to talk about. It's not a nice thing that we want to talk about, but it's true. Thankfully, there's more to the story, and we'll get to that later on. But at least for now, we need to acknowledge that the king here, or God, as we think about him, is perfectly justified to mete out consequences to those who reject his invitation to peace and a relationship with him. But the story doesn't end there. And this is really good. The story does not end there because in verse 8, the king says to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Why were they not worthy? Was it because they weren't good enough people? Was it because he made the wrong guest list? No, they weren't worthy because they rejected his offer. So uh, those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads, invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Now, up to this point, although it's a little bit strange and probably ridiculous for the people listening to this story to imagine that anybody would turn down an invitation to a wedding feast for the king, they could probably at least logically follow. But this, this takes it like beyond the realm of reality into just total pure fiction. Because what king would say, well, the people I invited wouldn't show up. Let's just go invite every. Let's just throw this one open. Any random people you find standing beside the road, bring them in. (laughs) With no idea of who they are, what they're going to do, you don't know. Look, it says, uh, go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. They might not even be people from this kingdom. They could just be travelers passing through. They might be thieves. Maybe they're just going to take this as an invitation to come in and rob us blind. I don't know who they are. I just want you to go get everybody you can, pull them all in. And that's what they did. Those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. Both bad and good. Everybody. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. (laughs) And the king says... I had this list of people that I wanted at the party. These were, you know, the, these were the, the people of stature. These were the people of importance within the kingdom. These were the people who would merit an invitation, okay? Um, 
I doubt any of us got invited to a royal wedding ever, right? Or what would be the equivalent in America, an inauguration? Um, anybody going to the inauguration? Well, let's not let's go there. Um, <coughs> um, but I had a list, and the list was everybody who was worthy, and then they all proved they weren't worthy because none of them came. So you know what? Let's just grab some random folks, okay? Anybody you see. And I love that it says both bad and good. So there were some good people who showed up, and there were some bad people who showed up, and everybody was there. Everybody got to come to the party. What does this mean? This is the part, and, and for us, this is the part where the story starts to turn in a way that really impacts us. Because what happened in history after Jesus was rejected by the people he came to save, by the first group of people that he came to, the nation of Israel, after he was rejected by them, after the apostles, after Jesus' death, after the apostles went and started in Jerusalem to share the gospel, and they were pushed out and they were rejected by the leaders of that nation, what happened? The gospel spread out. And it went out, and it didn't stay with the people who should have been the ones most open and most receptive to having a relationship with God. So the nation of Israel, from almost the beginning of time, was God's chosen people, and they had every opportunity. They should have been the ones who capitalized on this offer of having a relationship with Him. And we, and so now we can start to include ourselves in this story, Because the vast majority of us only know about God because it pushed out beyond the Jewish people. The vast majority of us, probably all, but I don't know everybody here this morning, but most of us only ever heard about Jesus because the gospel moved away from the good news of what Jesus did, the offer that we have to have peace with God, moved away from the nation of Israel— And it moved out to what at that time was called the Gentile world. It moved out into the greater, broader Roman Empire. It moved out into Europe. It moved from Europe over to America. At some point, it moved over here to Illinois or wherever you're from. And you eventually heard the gospel because it moved out. Because it didn't stay in. Because God worked and sent this offer for peace with his son, or with him through his son, and he sent it through a specific group of people, and that group of people rejected him, and God used that to spread that message out to a much bigger and broader group. And it's a group that is both good and bad, that all of us get to hear the gospel now, get to know, get to have the opportunity, get to have the invitation to come in to have a relationship with God because he was rejected by those to whom he first came. What does that have to do with church planting? Well, without overstepping the case, here's what I want you to understand. Unless someone is willing to step out beyond what they are comfortable with, unless somebody is willing to push beyond where they already are to go to a new group of people, then the gospel doesn't spread. Are you following me with this? Um, let, me, let me put it this way. Our inclination, okay, and I'm talking about myself personally, 
and all of us as a group, our inclination is to turn inward. Okay? So, like, this, this, this series on, on We Are Trailhead, and, and talking about Trailhead, and who Trailhead is, and, and what Trailhead is as a church, and talking about these things that are so great about this church. And it can become very, very appealing to us to say, this, this is a great church. Trailhead Church is an amazing church, and I, and I would say that, okay? Um, so, just, just so you understand, a point of reference on this, I came to this church, like I said, um, we came to Trailhead two and a half years ago. We were in Oklahoma, um, outside Oklahoma City. I was working in a church there. Lots of stuff going on, um, but through Converge, um, and through Steve's role in Converge, I met him, and I was feeling this, this possibility, this, this sense that maybe, maybe God was calling me to start a new church. But I wasn't sure. But the situation we were in wasn't very healthy. It was uh, there's issues at the church. And, and so I was talking to Steve, and he invited us to come out and to do an internship for a couple of years um, with the possibility, not the guarantee, but the possibility that maybe as things went along, maybe we'd decide that, yeah, God's calling us to plant a church. And maybe, again, no guarantee, but maybe Trailhead would partner with us. So we did that. Um, two and a half years ago, we moved um, from Oklahoma City over to here, and I started the internship. I started working part-time at a school in the area. I was teaching, um, and then working part-time through the internship. And as time went on, we got to become much, very, very, um, very comfortable at Trailhead. We loved this church. I mean, it was great. And, and, and like I said, we came from a very unhealthy background, and we came here, and so honestly, a big part of that first year that we were here was just for us, for, for us to heal, for us to fix um, some things in, in, in us, and, and in the way we were viewing church, and, and just being at Trailhead, and being in a church that was so focused on the gospel, that was, that was living in community together, where people were, were loving us, where we were building friendships that, that were deeper than we had had in our previous church, and just, just getting to become a part of Trailhead, and it was so refreshing, and so good. But then the whole reason we had come was to explore this idea of maybe, maybe God's calling us to plant a church. And so we're getting involved at Trailhead, and at the same time we're praying about, and we're looking at, and we're, and we're, we're, we're pushing into this idea of, is God calling us to plant a church? And it starts becoming more and more, um, in my heart, much more apparent that, yeah, that's, that's what God's called us to do is to start a new church. And yet, and yet, here we are finally, finally at this church where we, we feel like we found a home and we feel like we've connected. And, and after years of struggling with this idea of not, you know, not quite fitting and not being, you know, not being the right kind of church or whatever you want to call it, now we're finally at this church that we love. And now God's calling us to leave. And what do we do with that? And it became so, so tempting to me to say, you know what? Let's just stay. I mean, we're here. We love the people here. Um, Steve lets me preach, which I, because I like to preach, and he's letting me preach, so I can do that once in a while. 
I've got this job as part-time, but the, you know, the principal liked me. I fooled him into thinking that I was a good teacher. So if I wanted to, I could probably go on full-time. So we could just we could work at the school. I could be here. Um, the elders had, had invited me into that process. So maybe someday I could become an elder at Trailhead. We're working with Trailhead kids. We can just develop that more. And it'll just be great. And we'll just be safe. We'll be settled. Everything will be good. And yet, and yet, in my heart, there's, there's just this pull. There's just this, I don't know what the right word, a burden, this heaviness, that God's calling me to do something else, to step out, to move away from what's comfortable into something different. <clears throat> you go, well, that's, that's, that's great for you, Aaron. That's a great story. What does that have to do with us? Um, as a church, as a church, as trailhead, it can become very tempting to look at what you have, to look at where we are, to say, look, God has provided us, I mean, this is this building. God has provided us this building. Look at these people, all these people that God's brought in, the, the, the ministries that we have, you know, the, the impact that we're making in the community. This, this is good. This is good. And so we need to, this is the temptation. The temptation is to turn in and to say, we need to focus on us. And we need to focus on trailhead. And we need to make trailhead the best possible church trailhead can be. And to just turn inward. And to say, no, no, trailhead's mission and Trailhead's call from God is to, to send people out, to plant more churches, is to sacrifice finances, to, to shave off people who are serving in different roles, right? And, and when you send people out to, to start a church, the people who go are the people who are, like, serving, right? I mean, when, when people go out to help plant a new church, it's not the people who just show up once a month. It's the people who are invested and involved. And so to say, here's Trailhead, and we're growing, and we're getting settled, and we're making an impact in this community, and now we're going we're gonna to take a bunch of people from that and, and send them out. And we've got this building, and we're doing all these amazing things with these facilities, and we've got these opportunities, and we're going to take finances that could be going towards that, and we're going to instead, we're going to give them to these new churches. And we're going to sacrifice and send people out instead of turning in and focusing on us. Why would you do that? Doesn't everything within you just say, we need to take care of, of us? We need to focus on trailhead. And, and again, for me, everything within me was like, okay, I'm looking, and God's calling us to go and plant a church, but he, we're here, and things are getting good, and my family's getting settled, and my kids are, are <clears throat> my kids, and this is a long story, and I won't go into it, but we moved, and we lived in, I, I want to make sure I say that, I, I'm pretty sure it's like five houses in four years. It was ridiculous. Um, and we were in, but we, live, we moved and, uh, here, and we we're living in Collinsville, and we were in a house for two years, two consecutive years, and my kids were like thrilled with that because it was like, this is the longest we've lived in a house. Um, there was so much within me that was like, we, are, we, we can settle here. God's calling me to do something else, but we, can, we could settle. And I, could, what's best, and I started thinking, what's best for my family? Maybe what's best for my family is for us to just settle. Okay, maybe that would be better. 
And yet God's calling me to do something different. How do we navigate that tension? How do we decide? How do we decide between, and look, you've got to do good things as trailhead, right? I mean, it's not like we're just going to disband this church. Everybody go start a new church, right? It's not like my fa- I'm just going to look at my family and be like, sorry, guys. You're all done for. I'm, I'm done with you guys. I'm going to start a church, right? I mean, you've got to take care of your family. But how do you balance? And why, why would you say we're going to turn out and we're going to go towards what's less comfortable at the expense of our own safety? I think the answer to that is the end of this story, this last part of this story, this final paragraph, which is, let's be honest, it's a little bizarre, okay? Um, it's, let me put it this way. When I was preparing this sermon this week. I was pretty much just going to stop at verse 10 because the last part of this is just like, it's a little weird, okay? Um, and then I was thinking through this question, and I looked at this last part, and I was like, oh, oh no, this is important. I guess, I guess when Jesus told this story, he knew what he was doing when he put this part in because this is the key to the whole thing, Okay? Look at what it says. When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. So this this feast, this this wedding feast, there was a dress code, okay? There was a specific, a special garment that a person was supposed to wear to be able to be at the feast, at the palace. And the king walks in and he sees somebody who's not wearing it. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And, And he was speechless, Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you were in school and you violated the dress code, you got sent to the principal's office. Here you got tied up and thrown out into the darkness. Okay, this is a harsh dress code, I'm just saying. This is harsh, isn't it? Oh my goodness. The king walks in, he sees somebody who's not dressed appropriately, he has his servants tie him up and throw him out. And wait a second, wasn't the whole point that he sent his servants out to bring everybody in, good and bad? I mean, if that's the case, shouldn't the king have guessed some people would show up not in the right clothes? Why does the king have the right to be this harsh, to be this cruel to somebody just because they're not wearing the right thing? Well, I think we need to look a little bit closer at this, okay? Again, let's keep this in mind. Everybody who came to this party was not the people who were originally invited, okay? Everybody who had known in advance said no. Everybody who was there had just found out about it. Like the food was already cooked when they got invited. They just had to come. What are the odds that when the servants went out, out to the highways and we're finding random people beside the road that most of them said, oh yeah, I've got my wedding garment with me. Let me just throw that on and I'll be right there. Okay, probably the vast majority of the people who were invited didn't have the appropriate clothes, right? And yet, and yet, when the king walks in, look at verse 11, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. Like, this guy stood out. He was the only one who's not dressed appropriately. What does that mean? I mean, what does that tell you? Everybody was invited, 
only one guy showed up wearing the wrong thing. What it tells us is that the wedding garment was not something that people brought themselves. The appropriate clothing for the wedding feast was provided for the guests by the king. So when they showed up, whatever they were wearing, remember, it's both bad and good, whatever they were wearing, the king provided them with the appropriate garments to come into the feast. What does that have to do with us? I mean, what is, what is all this about clothes and garments? And you're not going to start telling us we need to dress up to go to church, right? That's not the point. No, no, no. <clears throat> There's a metaphor in the Bible about garments, about clothes, about robes. In fact, I want to show you. Look, look, look at the book of Isaiah. This is, one of the, this is one of those prophets, one of those guys that the, that the nation of Israel rejected, okay? In the book of Isaiah, um, Isaiah the prophet says this, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, we'll put it on the screen, um, or you can turn there yourself. Isaiah says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. God is absolutely and totally and completely perfect. He is, the word we use for this, he is holy, which means there is no one else like him, and none of us, none of us, okay, not a single one of us could ever approach him in his perfection and in his holiness, because none of us is good enough. None of us, to use the metaphor that Jesus is using here, none of us has the appropriate clothing to be in the wedding feast. Okay, just like the king has the right in his palace to say what people have to wear to be a part of that feast, none of us is holy enough or good enough on our own to ever be in the presence of a perfect and holy God. But God, in his goodness and in his mercy, gives us what we need. He clothes us. He covers us with his righteousness, with his goodness. So he sent Jesus Christ to this earth, and Jesus lived a totally perfect, sinless life. The only person to ever walk on this earth who could, by his own merit, stand in the presence of a holy and perfect God. That's Jesus. And God provides us with the opportunity, through Jesus' death on our behalf, to cover ourselves with Jesus' goodness to put on his righteousness, to metaphorically say that we are covered by the good that he did. Not because we're good, but because he is good. And when we trust in him, when we believe in what he did for us, 
then we are covered by his righteousness, such that when God looks at us, listen, this is awesome. This is incredible. This is mind-blowing. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, when God looks at you, like this king walking into the party, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you in your natural sinful state. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus' righteousness on you. You are covered. He looks at you and sees you as if you were just as righteous as Jesus. Now, you are not, okay? I am not. None of us are, okay? Remember up above, we said that the king, when he was angry, he sent his troops, he destroyed the murderers, burned their city, and we said... He's perfectly justified. Justice demands that that payment has to be made for the wrongs that are done. All of us, all of us in our natural state would find ourselves in that place. All of us deserve that justice. All of us deserve that punishment. That's what we deserve on our own. And yet God, God chooses to clothe us with his righteousness instead. What does that have to do with church planning? It's this, it's this. We must remember, we must remember, all of us must remember, none of us on our own are righteous. None of us on our own are good enough. None of us on our own are worthy of a relationship with God. None of us. Okay? All of us who have peace with God have it as a gift from God. Trailhead Church, on its own, must, Trailhead Church must remember, must remember that on its own, it's not going anywhere. Everything Trailhead has, everything Trailhead has is a gift from God. The only reason Trailhead exists is because another church sent out people to plant it, to start it. And Trailhead has to remember that. And we have to remember individually. The only reason that we know God is because somebody, somebody stepped out of their comfort zone to share the gospel with us. On our own, left to our own devices, all of us would be left out. We cannot forget that. Trailhead needs to remember always that it's a church plant. Trailhead should always think of itself as a new church, no matter how old Trailhead gets. All of us, individually, everybody who believes in Jesus Christ, should think of ourselves, we should think of ourselves as converts to Christianity. Never start to think of yourself as, I'm just a Christian. Always remember that there was a time when you believed. And that it happened Because God, in his mercy and in his grace, sent somebody to step out of their comfort zone to share the gospel with you. That you're at this church now, and this church is great, and everything you love about this church exists because somebody, a church, collectively decided we need to send people out. And we need to continue to keep doing that. We need to be a church that plants churches, that plants churches, that plants more churches. My hope, my dream, my prayer for Access Church is that we have that same DNA. That soon, and I mean soon, we're sending out our first daughter church. And it's it's Trailhead's first grandchild. 
and you go to that church and spoil it, and you, and you give it all kinds of presents that we can't afford, right? <clears throat> Never, ever, ever want to forget. We are where we are as a church and as individuals because somebody, somebody stepped out away from what was comfortable, away from what was safe, stepped out by faith, trusting in God to provide, and made a sacrifice to tell you to start this church, to start a ministry, to send the gospel out. You want to know who is Trailhead, what is Trailhead Church? Trailhead Church is a church plant that is planting new churches. And that is an important and I would say foundational and I would say inseparable part of who Trailhead is. And my prayer and my hope is that every single person in this room sees sharing the gospel and starting new churches as an absolutely vital part of what it means to be a part of this body of Christ. We're going to pray. We're going to have a time of reflection, and then we'll share communion together. Heavenly Father, God, I love you. God, you've been so good to us. God, you, by your mercy and by your grace, have given us more than we deserve, more than we could ever hope for, more than we could ever ask for. You've given us the opportunity to come to the greatest feast imaginable, to have a relationship with you through your Son. So first, God, we want to thank you. What else could we say but thank you? You've given us something we never deserve. But God, please help us to not get complacent. Help us to not turn inward. Help us to not seek after our own comfort, but rather turn our eyes outward. Help us to see those out in the highways, the good and the bad, who need to hear the invitation into the feast. Please drive us all outward this week, in the coming months, and in the coming years to be on mission to share the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout this city, throughout this region, and throughout the world. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.